the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Laura Slattery, a podcast from the Irish Times. On today's podcast, I'll be talking to Irish Times Managing Editor Cliff Taylor about the state of play for Brexit after the British Parliament comprehensively rejected Theresa May's withdrawal deal. Motoring editor Michael McAleer will also be here to discuss a possible silver lining for the beleaguered car industry if and when Brexit actually happens. But first, Peter Hamilton has a roundup of this week's business news for us. Hi, Peter. How are you? It's been a good week for Supermax boss Pat McDonough. Why is that? Well, it's been a good week for him and the company. Uh, They recorded a fairly major win against their arch rival McDonald's on, on Tuesday. So the the Galway fast food chain forced uh, McDonald's to relinquish their Big Mac trademark just in Europe. It's worth dialing down into this a bit and and, and looking at what it means. McDonald's had the trademark for Big Mac and that applied to food and restaurants. The issue for Supermax was that because it applied to restaurants, they couldn't open their own Supermax restaurant because McDonald's complained that their names were too alike. So they had to tackle this trademark and they were... They wanted to open restaurants outside Ireland. That's really where the kind of crunch issue came up. Yeah, so, so they have said in the past. It's not <laughs> This trademark applies to the UK and the EU. They could have applied for a trademark in the UK by itself if they really wanted to open there. So they, they say that they want to open on, on the continent and in the UK. That remains to be seen, I suppose. But for now, this is a relatively big deal. And Pat McDonough, I was speaking to him yesterday, he said that this opens the door for them to win that other trademark application that McDonald's had been blocking, the one that would allow them to become supermax on the continent, whereas they couldn't have done that before. One thing from the ruling I'd like to briefly point out that was kind of unusual, McDonald's defence, their, their lawyers, one of the pieces of evidence they brought in to back up this claim that Big Mac was a genuine trademark used by them. They brought in a printout of a Wikipedia page and this didn't go down too well with the court. Uh, ultimately, it led to McDonald's losing this case. They have said they will appeal. So it is rather strange because presumably, I mean, you know, this case was described as a David versus Goliath situation, you would think that Goliath would be able to afford uh, the kind of legal representation that might provide research beyond a Wikipedia page. Yeah, well, one would think, I, I suppose... Pat McDonough is very keen to portray this battle as the David vs Goliath one. He was saying last night that this was uh, the end of MacBully. Pat McDonough's company has profits in excess of 20 million, revenues in excess of 150 million. It's not a small company, perhaps small compared to McDonald's, but but in this country it's quite a significant company and he too has the the financial heft to fight battles like this. Yeah, it's an Irish institution. and But uh, it is interesting because McDonald's, I think, has, has won similar cases to this in other parts of the world in the past, but it wasn't their week this week. So another company that wasn't having a good week this week, Datalex, travel software company backed by investor Dermot Desmond. What happened? Yeah, I suppose this company will be relatively not that well known uh, here. It's kind of a niche operator. It works primarily for airlines. Clients are uh, Aer Lingus and Lufthansa. So here what happened, uh, as you mentioned, they lost 60% of their, almost 60% of their market value on Tuesday after they issued a shock profit warning and they revealed that they may have misstated revenues in relation to one of their major customers. Now, our colleague Joe Brennan established that the major customer was Lufthansa and that 
Datalex was a bit optimistic on the costs it could recover from Lufthansa as a result of this. They've had to hire in PwC. Uh, now, that they haven't confirmed that, but we were reporting that yesterday. They've hired PwC to have a look into the issue. You know, it's, it's, it's an unusual... It's quite serious, isn't it? To it is mis- quite serious. To misstate revenues... That's exactly the thing that investors hate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I suppose rightly so, as you can see by the reaction in the share price. So it warned that it now expects to make an earnings loss of between $1 and $4 million. And that was against an expected consensus, an analyst consensus profit of $16 million. So the difference there could be as high as $20 million. It's It is quite concerning for shareholders. So Dermot Desmond, I think you mentioned, uh, he has 26.4%. That's so right. So quite a hefty paper loss there on Monday when the share price plummeted. Absolutely. He's the single largest shareholder. Uh, if he got a lot bigger, he'd have to make a ta- uh, yeah. takeover after and all that sort of thing. But absolutely, this, this, is, this is not great news for him either, yeah. I guess the situation might be kind of volatile until, uh, until we know what the outcome of this independent review is. And th- they said it might be by 2020 before this is totally sorted out. So, uh, I mean, it, it, there is a long road ahead now, one would think, for Datalex. Okay, yeah. Now, another company in the news this week is the, <laughs> excuse me for the jargon, collaborative workspace provider yeah. WeWork. Yeah, so they're called WeWork for the moment. We'll, we'll get to that in a, in a moment. But, uh, they're in talks to lease the former New Ireland Assurance headquarters on Dublin's Dawson Street. I suppose that in itself, that, that in itself isn't terribly significant, but it would be the fifth uh, office they would hold here. Yeah, they're expanding their footprint here. And of course, most notably, they're set to go into the iconic former central bank building on, on Dame Street. So they are a huge sort of presence in other cities. Uh, tell us a bit about their business model yeah, and what they do. They're becoming they're becoming a big landlord, and that is effectively what they they are a landlord. But th- their model is to take out a long lease on a building and then they rent it out on short, all inclusive deals to multiple tenants. It's this kind of all singing, all dancing rental model for those entrepreneurs, and they kind of portray it as this uh, uh, you know collaborative space, as, as you mentioned at the start. They are expanding quite quickly, uh, just in, in terms of where they are now. They have 425 locations across 27 countries. And in London and Manhattan, central London and, Man- and Manhattan, they're the largest private occupier of office space. So they, they are significant. I mean, their story, and this year will be a an important year for them. Recently, SoftBank, their biggest investor, they pulled back on plans to invest $16 billion, And now they're... In, planning on injecting 2 billion so far they've since 2017 they've committed about 10 billion to to WeWork but i suppose what that means is that they now have to consider an IPO earlier than they expected and that comes after the fairly vicious losses among some of the tech companies last year it was a bad year in in tech although the Nasdaq tech has kind of recovered so far this year but this comes at a time when Companies like Uber, Airbnb and Lyft, they're all eyeing IPOs as well. So this year will be telling for tech, but it'll also be very telling for WeWork and to see if that 47 billion eye-watering valuation will hold up. Because it is one of these companies. I mean, I guess they're called the tech unicorns, but they're I mean, it's it's a it's a loss making company yeah. <laughs> that has like this kind of tech gloss, you know. So they say, you know, we help people do what they love, you know, and it's all about this sort of come and work in one of our short term leases and be passionate about what you do, and pay the price and get the free coffee for the yeah. <laughs> for the high rent. Um, but they are kind of eyeing things other 
than yeah. workspace now. They, they are indeed. Now, make no mistake about it, they're a glorified landlord and I suppose we get very excited about them. Uh, now, now this, this could change with this rebranding. They're, they're going to rebrand to uh, the We Company. <laughs> um, so and, and, and that will pave the way for them to expand into childcare and things like that. Now, some people were talking recently about the fact that that's not necessarily a terrible idea because if it did come to an IPO, they could IPO some parts of the business, not necessarily all. So for raising money to, to back up that $47 billion valuation, the kind of diversification into other sectors could, could be very attractive. Yeah, so this is We Live, which is about all about co-living residences. <laughs> and We Grow, which is something to do with education. Yeah, I mean, so. look, it, it is what it is and it does what it does. I mean... Look, whether it will reach that forty-seven billion valuation, we, we, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to see. But I suppose that the interesting thing is that companies are now taking out leases with WeWork, like for example EY here in Dublin, uh, because of their office space shortage, they have a big lease with with WeWork. So m- maybe maybe it'll start to turn around in the not too distant future. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Indeed. Thanks for now, uh, Peter. Next up, we have Cliff Taylor on the latest on the Brexit circus. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Political chaos in Westminster reached new levels this week as the UK government suffered a historic defeat on the Brexit withdrawal deal. At the time of recording, there hasn't been any chaos or panic on financial markets, though. I'm joined by Cliff Taylor, who hopefully will be able to make sense of this. Cliff, Sterling actually rose after what was a resounding defeat for Theresa May. Why was that? Yeah, who would have thought it? Um, Sterling has been generally weak over the last year uh, because of fears of Brexit, its impact on the British economy and the general uncertainty that goes with it. So I guess traders feel that it's now trading at a rate that it's well below its averages over the last five or ten years, say. Why did it go up uh, last night and this morning? I think the markets seem to be taking a glass half full approach for the moment. Uh, They're looking at what happened in Westminster. They're saying, look, one thing that's clear is that the House of Commons does not want a no-deal Brexit. Uh, so they're reckoning that that makes a no-deal Brexit less likely to happen now. Uh, and of course, a no-deal Brexit, with all the chaos and uncertainty and the hit to uh, UK economic growth that it would bring, is the big big risk to sterling. So for that reason, sterling has found a bit of support. I would expect that we're going to see a lot of volatility over the next week or so, the next two or three weeks as this thing plays itself out. Uh, the more a no-deal comes back into the frame, the weaker sterling will get. Uh, the more it looks likely that some other way will be found, uh, the more sterling will be will, will be underpinned on the markets. But, you know, sometimes we tend to think that traders or investors in the markets have some kind of magic insight that the rest of us don't have. I think, in truth, they're looking at what's happened over the last 24, 48 hours. They're as mystified as the rest of us about what's going to happen next. They're just taking a punt at the moment that maybe a no-deal Brexit looks a bit less likely. But, you know, in all honesty, who knows? Yeah, so they're either betting on a short-term delay to Brexit or it eventually being a soft Brexit. But they might be actually just getting ahead of themselves there. Absolutely. Uh, And I guess 
you know, investors have to trade one way or the other. Uh, so, you know, they have to make up their mind which way to jump. And as you say, those things are now possibilities. So the possibility of an extension to Article 50 and the UK not leaving at the end of March looks to be increasing. Uh, so that's so that's one possibility, although we need to remember that the EU, all the EU states have to sign up to that. So it's not a given, even if the UK asks. And certainly the rest of the EU will want some assurance from Britain on where the heck this thing is going. They, they won't give an extension just to allow more time uh, for the House of Commons to argue amongst itself. And, and as you say, if some consensus emerges from the House of Commons, it appears more likely that it's a softer version of Brexit. Uh, perhaps the UK staying in the in the EU customs union, uh, and again, I guess the markets would look more favourably on that in terms of its impact on the UK economy. Hence, a reason to to buy sterling for the moment. So it seems, uh, I mean, various analysts um, always say that the one thing that uh, markets fear, perhaps yeah. even more than a hard Brexit, is a a, a Labour government led by Jeremy Corbyn. Do you think they're right about that? <sighs> again, who knows what. You know who knows what Jeremy Corbyn would do when he gets into when he gets into office, but he has an agenda uh, of higher tax, more state intervention, privatisation. Uh, I suppose what we call a very left wing economic agenda, which wouldn't tend to suit the markets, and and which would I guess worry them about the UK growth outlook and the outlook for UK companies who might might face higher tax bills, and and so on. Um, it doesn't look like uh, there's a immediate risk of a general election uh, but that one could still emerge in the next few weeks if Theresa May can't find a way out of the uh, the mess that she's in at the moment so so it can't be ruled out but I think for the moment the, the risk the bigger risk of the markets will focus on is is the dreaded no deal Brexit and the the uncertainties that would bring so it's been 937 days I make it since uh, the uh, day of the referendum yeah and it's 72 days until March 29th when they are due to sort of fall out of the EU, you know, deal or no deal, unless there is this extension. Now, you said there, you know, the EU won't just grant one if it looks like they're going to continue going around in circles for another year or something. Uh, what what kind of circumstances do you think they would grant an extension to Article 50? Yeah, I mean... Uh, and just to reflect on what you're saying there about the time that's gone and what's left, the extraordinary thing is that such a range of possible outcomes still faces us with so much time gone and so little to come. I think certainly if there was some clear request from the UK, for example, that uh, they wanted time to hold a second referendum, uh, that would certainly you know, be agreed to by, uh, by the EU, I think, uh, as a reason to extend Article 50. Or if it appeared that the House of Commons was coming towards some conclusion on how it wanted to move forward and there was some obvious route out of the mess. Yeah, because I was listening to some of the punditry last night in the, in the, in the immediate aftermath of the mm. vote un, until my ears started to bleed. And, yeah. uh, the, you know, some people are saying, well, this is actually, a ma- this vote is a mandate for a hard Brexit. And some people are saying, no, this vote is a mandate for a renegotiation of the backstop. Okay. And this vote is a mandate for a second referendum, all different, you know, very different positions. So the truth is, it's a man- you know, there's no mandate for any of one, a single one of those things, is yeah. there? Yeah, and this, this is the problem, I guess. Number one, we don't know uh, what what what, did, what does the British public want. What did the British public vote for? They voted to leave the EU by a small majority. Beyond that, 
you know, you, how do you look into the souls of the British people and say what kind of Brexit they wanted? It's, certainly, there was no suggestion of a no deal Brexit uh, or, or, a, or a crash out Brexit when the when the vote was taken. I think, and there was a lot of talk about how easy it would be to negotiate new trade deals and so on. But you're right. There's no while the House of Commons seems to be able to agree that it doesn't want a no deal Brexit. There doesn't seem to be any consensus yet on what kind of Brexit it does want. To the extent that you could, you could, you could read into these things and, and perhaps look for, look, look for where a majority might be found. Uh, the Labour Party has um, said that it favours the UK remaining in the customs union and uh, other strong trading links with the EU after Brexit. There are a significant number of Tories who would who would agree with that, although a significant number who would who would disagree with it as well. So, so maybe something right around that might emerge, uh, but who knows? And. You know, a very difficult backdrop here for Irish businesses as well, because they still don't know what's going to happen. They're still dealing with this huge uncertainty. Um, talking to some advisors this morning, they say, look, the bigger companies have pushed the button. They've spent the money, sometimes lots of money, to try and put their contingencies in place, which might, for example, include establishing a warehouse or even manufacturing facilities in the UK. Uh, or more facilities in Ireland to, to, to store stuff coming in from the UK here, but really expensive things to do. The smaller companies don't have the money to do that, mostly. So most of them are sitting, hoping, waiting, keeping their fingers crossed that it won't be too bad, trying to be ready to jump one way or the other when when the news does finally emerge. But such is the short timescale now that it's 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 very tricky. Okay, well, I'll just uh, finish with a quote from Adam Marshall, who's director of the British Chamber of Commerce. He was saying there today that there's no more words to describe the frustration, impatience and growing anger that felt by business. But he has found a few words there. So we'll just end on that note. Um, But thanks for now, Cliff. Next up, I'm talking to Michael McAleer about what all this Brexit drama might mean for car sales. Brexit has been blamed for a slump in new car sales in the Republic of Ireland thanks to a flood of used imports from the UK. With so much still up in the air on Brexit, what is the future direction for the industry? Here to steer us through this issue is motoring editor Michael McAleer. Michael, if you can first of all just give us a quick recap. What's been happening to car sales? Well, basically, last year the car sales took a nosedive, a slight nosedive, but mainly it, it's uh, the spotlight has fallen upon used imports, which exceeded 100,000 for the first time, depending on whose figures you look at. CIMA figures are over 100,000, CSO figures are just teetering on the 100,000 mark, but that's a hugely significant chunk of car sales. And quite a few of those buyers would have been new car buyers, it's estimated. And the, quick, the best way to, to look at it is to put the number of first registrations, so the number of used imports and the number of new cars together, and you're talking around 225, 225,000, 250,000. Over the last few years, what, you've, what we've seen is that you, the number of used cars has increased and the number of new registrations has decreased. The number of people changing their cars to first registered vehicles has stayed the same largely. So around 225,000 people are driving new registered cars. It's just that a a significant proportion of them are used imports and they're coming from the UK. And that's directly related to sterling. And sterling has taken a nosedive against the euro on the back of Brexit. So that's really the Brexit They're cheaper. They're cheaper. To, initially, they're, they're, it's inconvenient for an average person to bring in a car because you have to go to the UK, fly over there, get the ferry, look at it, source it, pay for it and get your currency exchanges, then get over, re-register it, pay the VRT. 
that's a lot of inconvenience for people. But once you hit above 86 cents to the pound, that's when you start to see people say, well, it's worth it after a while. And I was speaking to some traders this week and they were saying that dealers that you do use to import and they import uh, themselves to sell on. And they were saying that around the 80 to 86, they can they can make a profit on bringing a car in from the UK. Mm-hmm. When it gets to 90 or even close to parity, the punters actually go around them and actually go straight to the UK. It's, it pays them to do that at that stage. So there's a direct correlation between the rate of sterling and the amount of used imports coming into the country. So in a way, Brexit is linked, but it's really all to do with sterling. And as sterling heads towards parity, if it gets above 90, 95, then you're into territory that really new car sales are going to take a beating. So, I mean, Sterling obviously fell off a cliff after the referendum vote, and I'm, I'm not totally sure my memory stretches all the way back to 2016. But the first, one of the first sectors really to suffer was the car industry, because this, this started to show up in the figures even, even as early as 2016, 2017, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, the dealers, the dealers are always wary, are watching the, the Sterling rate. So they're active enough that they, whenever the rate is at, a, at the right price, they will head, head north across the border or head across the UK. And a lot of them would have links with buyers over there who will source them the cars to bring into the Irish market. And you also got to remember that there was also, uh, there was fewer registrations during the recession. So there's a gap for, in the used car market for cars from uh, 2013, 2014. So people who are looking for four or five-year-old cars, the stock simply isn't here in Ireland or maybe it, isn't, it doesn't suit them. They're looking for a people carrier, seven seats, um, and it's just not on the Irish market because no, there wasn't enough of them registered at the time. So then the, the UK market is coming in and it's filling that void. But certainly the the, um, the sterling rate is what, what triggers an increase in used imports. So we still could have a hard Brexit, although as we were talking about earlier, some market investors think that's slightly less likely now for some reason. But what does the car industry say about a hard Brexit? In fairness, if you if you look at it, it could offer some sort of silver lining. It's probably one of the few sectors of the economy that there could be a benefit to a hard Brexit because more than likely WTO tariffs will kick in and the government will come under pressure to limit used imports. And they can do that in a number of ways. There was some calls earlier this week that they should limit it to what they call Euro 6. And that's basically a mission on environmental policy. So no car should be below a certain criteria in terms of environmental policy, which would rule out a lot of the older imports. Um, That's actually quite clever um, of the car industry to sort of marry those two issues, isn't it? They're saying, you know, we need help limiting these used car imports. And oh, yeah, they're actually really bad for the environment anyway, which is true. Uh, So why not? do these two things and everyone can live happily ever after. Yeah, I mean, it makes it, it, it sounds great. I mean, you're always a little bit wary when the motor industry takes on the cloak of environmental crusaders. Um, it's, it's not the, yeah. the cleanest uh, industry in the sector. And well, Let's say it, names. It was Nissan Ireland who, who were saying this. Uh, yeah, they've, they've called for it. But I mean, it, it's an industry-wide thing. And the Department of Finance has looked at it because the department ultimately you're losing tax because uh, just off the top of my head, I think the figures for uh, the average VRT raised on a new car registration is around €8,000, while the uh, the revenue raised for the the uh, for the government on a used import is somewhere around two to three, so they're they're losing money on it. So the, re- the Department of Finance are interested in seeing what ways they could do it. 
without it looking like they're they're beholden to a particular industry or and prejudicing uh, the consumer in terms of the savings they can make because you know everyone you speak to the savings seven eight seven thousand eight thousand euros people are making by bringing in the used cars i spoke to a colleague here not a million miles away from this room who reckons he saved about 10 to twelve thousand euro on by bringing in his own car earlier okay. last year there are significant savings to be made, so the consumers will take a hit. The only the only other side to this is the fact that it's not it, the savings are are not made and uh, they don't exist in a bubble. The fact is that used car prices are now being set by the UK market. So if new if the used imports are cheaper, so you make a saving on the used import, your own car you're trading in is going to be worth yeah. less. And the cost of change is what's scaring a lot of people away from buying a new car as well. They pr- they go in thinking their car is worth. 12 grand and the new car is worth 20 so they'll spend 8 and suddenly discovering that uh, their own car is worth 8 and suddenly the cost of change is, is the key there. And we've seen as well that consumer sentiment is just a little bit shaky at the moment. People are kind of putting off some of these big decisions and a car is a big ticket item at the end of the day. It's the second most significant investment most people will make after their house and it is but the the one thing that people have been watching, it's the one area of the industry or the, of the economy that hasn't really picked up, even whenever the recession, post-recession, housing prices rose and white goods sales, everything was lifting, but car sales still were relatively static across the market. Um, and that's down to used imports. People were looking for an alternative, trading up. So instead of getting your Ford Focus, you were looking at getting a uh, BMW hatchback or a Merc or an Audi A3 or something and that's where people were moving up and taking a few years taking an older car a few years older and they used import So you said there, there that some people in the industry are saying a hard Brexit has a silver lining because it puts off some some of this behaviour it stops it but Ultimately, yeah, it, they don't want a hard Brexit. No. Nobody wants a hard Brexit. It could be a disastrous, in fact. It's it's a crutch to lean on if the economy, because the impact on the economy on consumer spending of a hard Brexit is going to be so seismic that the likelihood that a f- cutting back on used imports is going to make a, a difference. It's it's going to soften the blow of a hard Brexit to the car dealers, but uh, it's not going to be. It's not going to mean that they're, they're. It's not their road to riches. Well, on that note, we'll, we'll say thanks very much to Michael McAleer. And that's all for this edition of Inside Business with me, Laura Slattery. My thanks also to Cliff Taylor and Peter Hamilton. This podcast was produced by Declan Connan with JJ Vernon on Sound. You can get the latest business news straight to your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email on irishtimes.com. We'll be back next week, but until then, thanks for listening.